Welcome to the International Trade Minute, quick fire trade news where time is trade. We are your go-to podcast for rapid and concise updates on trade and law, designed specifically for busy trade professionals. Sponsored by Rydell Law Firm and prepared by seasoned trade attorneys, our twice-weekly podcast packages your essential trade updates, all in the time it takes to enjoy your coffee break. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and join the conversation with a network of like-minded professionals on LinkedIn, where time is trade, make every minute count. Today's episode zeroes in on a series of intriguing developments that are sending ripples through the trade community. On to our first news, we're talking about a fascinating decision from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, or CBP, that's turning heads in the tech and retail sectors. In a move that's sparking discussions about the intersection of technology and trade classifications, the CBP has ruled that the caper cart, a smart shopping cart imported by Instacart, is officially classified as a vehicle. You heard that correctly. A vehicle. Under the harmonized tariff schedule heading 8,716, to be precise. This decision was announced on January 12th, and it stirred quite the conversation. The caper cart isn't your average shopping cart. It's equipped with computer vision cameras, a scanner, and an AI unit with machine learning algorithms to identify products, not to mention a built-in scale and a touchscreen display. Instacart markets it as a mobile point of sale, boasting features that allow shoppers to easily add items to their cart and pay using a built-in card terminal or a cloud-based payment system. But here's where it gets interesting. Instacart argued that the caper cart should fall under the category of a cash register due to its advanced point-of-sale components. However, the CBP disagreed, stating that the cart's primary function is to transport goods around the store until purchase. The presence of electronic enhancements doesn't change its fundamental purpose. The CBP highlighted that these smart features only add convenience for users. Therefore, despite its tech-savvy build, the caper cart is, at its core, a vehicle for transporting merchandise within stores. And, with this classification, comes a tariff rate of 3. 2% under subheading 8,716. 80, 50, covering non-mechanically propelled vehicles and their parts. Instacart hasn't commented on this ruling yet, but it certainly sets a precedent for how emerging retail technologies might be classified in the future. It's a clear example of how traditional categories are being challenged by innovation, and it'll be interesting to see how this impacts the retail and tech industries moving forward. Up next, we're delving into a recent ruling by the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, or CBP, that highlights the intricate nature of trade classifications and valuations. At the heart of this story is the Tianjin Leviathan Corporation, a subsidiary of the Leviathan Corporation. They found themselves at odds with CBP over the nature of their role in a transaction involving the purchase of 254 tires from a Chinese manufacturer. The initial documentation listed Tianjin Leviathan as the buyer, which led the Automotive and Aerospace Center of Excellence and Expertise to conclude that they were acting as a buyer-seller in the transaction. However, Tianjin Leviathan contested this interpretation. They argued that they were, in fact, a buying agent for their parent company, Leviathan Corporation, and as such, the buying commissions they earned should be deducted from the merchandise's valuation. The crux of the matter came down to the understanding of their role. Was Tianjin Leviathan merely a middleman, facilitating the purchase without assuming the title or risk of loss for the goods? Or were they acting as the end buyer? Upon further review, and with additional documentation, including a buying agency financing agreement, CBP headquarters found that an agency relationship did exist between Tianjin and Leviathan. 
They determined that Tianjin Leviathan had indeed acted as a bona fide buying agency, conducting market surveys, identifying suppliers, and even assisting with translations and payments on Leviathan's behalf, all without accepting title or risk of loss. This finding allowed for the buying commissions to be deducted from the valuation of the merchandise, a significant ruling that underscores the importance of the substance of transactions over the labels used in commercial invoices and sales contracts. It's a fascinating case that illustrates the complexities of international trade regulations and the importance of accurate representation in trade documentation, and it serves as a reminder for companies engaged in international trade to meticulously document their transactions and roles to ensure compliance with customs regulations. We continue with our next story. We're discussing a significant ruling from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, or CBP, involving Pennsylvania National Mutual Casualty Insurance Company, also known as Penn National. This case centers around a dispute regarding anti-dumping and countervailing duties, or ADCVD, on imports of steel wire hangers. Penn National found itself in hot water over delinquent duties for entries it bonded. Anti-dumping and countervailing duties are tariffs imposed on foreign imports that are deemed to be priced below fair market value or that benefit from subsidies to protect domestic industries from unfair competition. Penn National argued that they were not given proper notice by CBP when the liquidation of these entries was extended. Liquidation, for our listeners who might not be familiar, is the process by which CBP finalizes the duties owed on imported goods. According to Penn National, this lack of notice violated CBP's regulations, unfairly prejudicing the insurer's obligations under the bond they issued for these imports. However, CBP's stance was clear. They ruled that they had indeed provided adequate notice of the liquidation extension. In addition, here's the kicker. CBP stated that the only notice required was posting on its website. They noted that while they aspire to provide an electronic courtesy notice, it's not mandated by law. That's an important distinction. CBP emphasized that the regulations specifically mention the website posting as the formal notice method. The electronic courtesy notice, though beneficial, is not a legal obligation. Consequently, CBP found that the failure to provide a courtesy notice could not be grounds for Penn National to claim substantial prejudice, especially since the official notice of extension was indeed posted online. In the end, CBP denied Penn National's protest in full, upholding the principle that the official website posting suffices as notice for the extension of liquidation regarding ADCVD duties. This ruling underscores the importance of vigilance for all parties involved in international trade. It highlights the necessity of regularly checking official postings and updates to avoid potential pitfalls. And it also brings to light the evolving nature of communication and legal requirements in the digital age within international trade practices. For companies like Penn National and others in the trade industry, this serves as a critical reminder to stay informed about regulatory requirements and to ensure compliance through all available channels. Moving forward to the next story, we're spotlighting an announcement from the Bureau of Industry and Security, or BIS, that's bound to have significant implications for exporters and international businesses alike. Matthew Axelrod, the top export enforcement official at BIS, has signaled a pivotal shift in the agency's approach to export penalties and corporate compliance. Speaking at a virtual conference hosted by the Massachusetts Export Center, Axelrod made it clear Expect more significant corporate penalties and export-related indictments this year in collaboration with the Department of Justice. This announcement isn't just about ramping up enforcement. Axelrod underscored the importance of compliance, stating that while it can be a hard sell to convince companies to invest in compliance, the cost of non-compliance, underscored by significant penalties, makes a compelling argument. 
Axelrod, pointed to the deterrence effect of public fines, suggesting that they serve as a stark reminder to businesses about the importance of adhering to export controls. It's worth noting that this move isn't without precedent. Just last year, BIS imposed a record $300 million fine against Seagate for violations of U.S. export controls against Huawei. In addition, with the Disruptive Technology Strike Force launched in partnership with DOJ in February 2023, gaining momentum, Axelrod expects even more cases to emerge this year. Beyond enforcement, Axelrod also touched on ongoing efforts to refine BIS's policies, including its work on anti-boycott regulations and forthcoming guidance for freight forwarders. Speaking of outreach, BIS is expanding its university program, now working with 29 schools to safeguard against technology theft, with a special focus on threats from foreign governments. Yet all these initiatives hinge on one critical factor, resources. Axelrod candidly shared the challenges BIS faces with its current budget, expressing hope for increased funding to bolster the agency's enforcement capabilities. It's a multifaceted strategy aimed at strengthening U.S. export controls and compliance, with significant implications for businesses and academic institutions alike. As Axelrod puts it, it's not just about enforcing laws, it's about encouraging a culture of compliance and safeguarding national and economic security. For our last story, we're unpacking a story that's at the intersection of international business and human rights, allegations of forced labor within the coffee supply chains of some of the world's most recognized brands. McDonald's, Illy, Nestle, and others are under scrutiny following a report by the Center for Research on Multinational Corporations, or SOMO, and Brazil-based Connectus. This report alleges that coffee farms using forced labor in Brazil are connected to these global companies. McDonald's was quick to respond, emphasizing its commitment to sustainable sourcing and a zero-tolerance policy for forced labor in its supply chain. They pointed to established processes and protocols designed to ensure the quality and sustainability of their products. The report, however, sheds light on a broader issue. It claims that, despite measures taken by the Brazilian government and the companies themselves, forced labor remains a persistent problem, particularly in Minas Gerais, Brazil's primary coffee-producing state. Between 1996 and 2023, over 3,700 workers were found in slave-like conditions on coffee plantations across Brazil. And as of October, 39 coffee producers were on Brazil's dirty list of companies caught using forced labor. The report also questions the reliability of certification schemes, highlighting cases where farms certified by programs like the Rainforest Alliance and the CAF. E practices program were found to have labor violations. In response, Starbucks highlighted its reliance on the CAFE. Practices verification program, noting that it serves as part of its broader efforts to ensure a sustainable supply of high-quality coffee. Similarly, McDonald's mentioned its purchase of Rainforest Alliance certified coffee through Mother Parkers, underscoring that the certification criteria explicitly prohibit forced labor. JDE Peets and Illy Cafe also addressed the allegations. JDE Peets highlighted its Common Grounds program aimed at ensuring compliance with human rights standards, while Illy Cafe stressed its efforts to make the coffee supply chain fairer and more sustainable. Nestle, on the other hand, mentioned a due diligence system to address human rights risks and a recent settlement with Connectus and Adair MG aimed at strengthening collaboration on the ground. This story raises critical questions about the effectiveness of certification schemes and the challenges of ensuring ethical practices within complex global supply chains. 
It also highlights the ongoing efforts by these companies to address and mitigate the risks of forced labor, demonstrating the importance of transparency, due diligence, and collaboration in tackling such systemic issues. As consumers, it's a reminder of the impact our choices can have on global supply chains and the lives of workers thousands of miles away. Thank you for joining us on International Trade Minute, your rapid source of trade updates for busy trade professionals. And we hope to have you back for our next episode. Don't forget to subscribe.